are live. Welcome. Thank you. And today, to celebrate the third episode, I've added probably 55 ingredients to my tea. So it is turmeric and, and various other things like um, come in, not yet yeah, the, the, sort of, the sort of spice type of come in. Too much information. Uh, there is come like, in. Why do you have come in your tea? Uh, some other things. So, yeah, so we have the, we have the standard red tea with the with little spiced up uh, version. Cool. And I, and I think I just identified the first place that we need to cut from this final. <laughs> um, me making jokes about you having come in your tea isn't necessarily the best start of the episode. But it's sort of us, anyhow. So it's kind of us, yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Listen, I, I was actually, you know, listening uh, on, on our first episode. Um, mm. uh, yesterday, I was out walking, had a long walk, and I thought, what should I listen to? And and uh, I realized that, hey, actually, the best thing in the world to listen to is, is uh, myself. Myself. <laughs> so, so, I, so I did a little bit of a rerun. And it's, you know, I think it's within the first 15 minutes or something, we, we actually say, so what am I? And one of us says, "Well, that's that's an, that's for another episode to go through." Mm, that's right. I had forgotten uh, about and that. And we're actually now on that episode, right? Mm, this is that other episode. That's absolutely true. What am I? Uh, why is it a question I am able to ask? Um, why do I have an experience? What is that thing? The movie that I keep finding myself in every time I wake up in the morning. It's a pretty, pretty, and I think we are going to have some uh, good uh, and healthy debates towards the end of this episode, judging by some how, of, of the conversations we've had leading up to the recording today. Yeah, you, you, I ask questions and you keep telling me they're pointless, right? So, so that's basically. <laughs> and that's the key. It's not so much a debate, rather than you telling me I'm wrong. I, I'm not asking the right questions. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I, I feedback taken. I'm not invited <laughs> to too much of a conversation, am I? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, let's see. Let's but see. it's it's uh, I, first episode we had was around you know what's the that was just improbable that we're here. It's mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're we're highly improbable, yeah. and and uh, the freak accidents you know, leading up to us having that pod, and then the second one tackled reality and what it is and how we sense it, and now we come to you know. What am I? The more the inner reality of what am I and and why and uh, uh, you know what would make me not me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, I think you know it's it's a it's a big enough question to to merit an episode uh, in our podcast. Yes, uh, it definitely qualifies as a huge issue for two yeah. laymen to sink their teeth into. So, and in this specific case, I think I am considerably more a layman than you are because you have actually research this topic a little bit more than me i just have stupid questions but i think it's going to be good anyway well i've been i've been obsessed by this question for a bit longer i suspect um and uh i i have a number of so okay so there are bits and pieces of ideas and theories that i've uh, listened to or read um and to me they seem to fall this seems to be pieces that form a puzzle that starts to make some sort of a sense at least to me, and I, and I and I think 
part of what um, you have graciously <laughs> allowed me to do today is to go through some of that, right? And then we can can talk about it. But I, I really find the, uh, I think the combination of how mysteriously fascinating the sense of being and having an experience is, and, and then, you know, these bits and pieces of theories and ideas that string together to kind of, kind of make sense. I find it very fascinating, I have to say. So, so let's then, I guess, you know, um, embark on an odyssey out into the um, uh, land of what am I and how how did I become I and 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 why? Mm. And uh, you you're going to be the uh, sailor, uh, you know, the the guy running the motor, uh, the guy who built the boat, and I'm Floki, Floki, <laughs> and I think I'm going to be. Sort of the the person who, who just jumped on board and, and got a good ride to wherever the next episode is. Right? Well, um, <laughs> let's see. Let's see what, with how, how this kidding. is going to work. Let's see how this is going to work. Uh, but uh, okay, so, so what's the I, first port of call? So where do well, we go? The well, the first port. I'm, I'm making one big leap in the beginning here, right? Uh, and which is kind of a leap of faith, if anything, or a leap. I guess it's a leap of faith. So I'm going to start by claiming that. The, the thing in our the thing in our bodies so I'm going to now so first assumption is that consciousness comes from something physical not something mysterious or supernatural it comes from something physical right so it comes from our bodies okay so it's a it's a real biological phenomena that's the first leap of faith <laughs> ironically enough um, and and the second is that it probably has to do with our nervous system so that's kind of the first assumption that that at least I'm making. And then, of course, the question is, where the hell did our brain come from in the first mm. place? How did that? And and, he, and and the thing that I the thing that I picked up in 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 one of these podcasts I was listening to is is this theory that you know one of the one of the th fluke things that happened you know way back when so you know, three three and a half billion years ago we had single cell organisms. But this is again a, a I guess a bit of a bridge from our first episode mm -hmm. um and at some point um there is a protein that attaches to the wall of a cell and what happens is that that protein does two things first it connects with a second cell so it allows two cells to connect to each other they kind of glue together but not only that but also when there is an electrical potential across this protein then it opens the cell walls, okay? And when it opens the cell walls, then it allows these two cells to share um, their, uh, their inner chemistry, right? So all of a sudden, these two cells are now kind of as one. They share the same chemistry. Uh, and the way they do it is when there's an electrical signal uh, present over the membrane of the cell so that this gate opens, Okay, so you can open and close the gate and, and, and send chemistry through. Now, if you think about that, that's kind of the definition of a synaptic uh, thing, a, the, the synaptic mechanism, right? So there's an electrical potential that opens up a gate so chemistry can flow through. Mm -hmm. uh, and, so, and so this allowed a, a, a number of cool things. And, and this story to me kind of says, hang on, um, we now have the ability for two cells to glue together and share information. And, and the way this information is shared is through kind of this electrical potential being fired and then, and then chemistry being shared. And that's, that's, that sounds like kind of the beginnings of a neuron, right? 
a neuron. And, and, and then over time, as these, and we're not going to talk about multicell organisms in this episode, right? But then what happens is that some cells become really good in managing exactly that process, the process of firing electrical signals, opening and closing these cell walls, and sort of organizing the chemical sharing. And these then become neurons, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and these are actually very simple things. What they do is that they receive a signal, right? Um, many signals, actually. And then they just kind of sum them up. And if the sum of all these signals, all this potential, is higher than a certain threshold, then they will fire an electrical spike out. That's all they do. That's all they do. They receive signals, sum them up, and then fire a, a spike outwards, let's say. Um, if they exceed some some threshold, so that's kind of the beginnings. So, so the signal could be, I'm low on um, uh, you know um, chemistry ingredient A in this half, uh, and and the signal then uh, is taken and you and it sends out an electrical spike that opens up the cell membrane and voila, you receive a you know um, uh, add, add additional chemistry uh, A from the second part. Yeah, exactly, and 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 all and already we're sort of um, giving this neuron perhaps more smartness than it has when 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 we're describing it because all it does is it acts like a gate almost like the gate is closed but when a sufficient amount of signal is hitting it you know electrical potential or chemical balance hits it then it just opens that's all it does. Uh, and so it doesn't have any idea what it's actually. So it alone, it doesn't know what it's doing at all. It's just a gate. But when you add these up by the numbers, something very interesting starts happening, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that's it then. We're done. We know what I am and why. That's it. That's it. <laughs> we have a couple of. Uh, there are a couple of more steps to go, right? Because okay. that, so, no, so now we have. So now we have neurons, right? Yep. So we have neurons. So now, how do we then get to a nervous system, right? From from neurons. And here's the second story I heard, right? The second story I heard is about this worm. And I think we talked about worms previously. <laughs> worms are brilliant um, because they've lived for so long. So you can, you can do studies on worms today and then be fairly sure that they haven't evolved much since they, you know, whatever hundred, in this case, 500 million year old kind of worm, right? It's a round worm. It has 300 neurons approximately. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what the researchers found is that they have this one particular neuron that basically uh, keeps track of whether physical pressure comes from the environment, so it presses down on the worm, right, uh, from the external in onto the worm, or if that pressure comes from the inside of the worm. Um, and, and why has a neuron evolved to do that? Well, it's useful. It, 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 evolutionarily, it turns out that the actions that are then triggered by these signals probably need to be different depending on whether there is pressure on the inside or the outside. So it's been useful for, for the worm to evolve this capability, right? So if there's a lot of pressure on the outside, then move, you know, wriggle away because something is probably dangerous. If there's pressure on the inside, well, I don't know, take a dump, you know, <laughs> re- release the pressure. Um, so, 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 so all of a sudden now we have gone from you know, single neurons to a nervous system. And, and this is, and if you think about it, this, I think this sounds to me like the beginning of this emotional center. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, you have this chemistry and electricity that, that give you um, 
emotions that 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 give you impulses, instincts to do something. You know, should I run? Should I wriggle left? Should I wriggle to the right? Should I have sex? Should I eat? Should I take a dump? You know, you start getting this information management thing, um, mm-hmm. and and now the way now it kind of feels like you know you, you, we're we're kicking off a snowball down the slope here, right? Where the more complex the animal allows to evolve, the more sophisticated things and complicated things this nervous system is also evolving to do then. So, so they like co- the nervous system and, and what the animal is, is capable of doing kind of co-evolve here. And of course, this is a trial and error beyond all imagination that is going on, right? Um, but, but let's say, so we're going to get to humans soon, I promise. But let's say you have, you have <laughs> these emotions now. Let's say, um, and by the way, this, this is then, uh, this center that is starting to evolve is basically what sits on the top of our, top of our spine. This is the brainstem, the limb, or the lizard brain, or the system one. There are different names for it. It's like the limbic system. This is really old, at least 200, 300 million years old, right? So, so when um, you say we have an emotion, though. Uh, yeah. Uh, is it an emo? What do you mean? There is a sensory input that triggers a behavior. Does it need to be an emotion in between? Yes, Th- this is what is so cool because the way I have understood this, and this was something that I, that I really, you know, almost I almost fell off the chair when I realized this, is that the the sensoric input is. Uh, um, is is then collected by this information management system and the information man- and this information management system this sort of brainstem then wants to trigger the body to do something but the way it does it is by by creating an emotion by creating an emotion right uh, so it goes via emotions um of course not everything does right so this is why you don't have to think too much to pump blood with your heart that that is very automatic you you cannot will your heart to stop i guess i don't think many of us can Mm. if if somebody can do that i I would would consider to be an outlier and and not evolutionarily very helpful and not very long-lived not very long probably some some people could probably do that but we don't see those around for 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 (laughs) obvious reasons um having a bad nightmare you know you had a bad dream and you kind of wake up i accidentally stopped my heart um so no so you have this because what happens then is when I said the amygdala will create a stimulus to make us do something. So it will create the stimulus, and we call that an emotion. So we can experience that as fear, disgust, or desire, anger, etc., right? In order mm-hmm. to make us either approach or avoid something. Um, and 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 but this is the thing: we don't. Uh, cert- you know, if you put your hand on something really hot, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to to regulate that emotion and not withdraw your hand. I mean, I, with practice, I'm sure you can do it, right? But, but, but there's an instinct that, that forces you to react immediately. But mm-hmm. what happens, and now we're getting to learning sooner, because what happens evolutionary, that it starts making sense to delay that immediate response, to think about it. Um, so if there's a sensory system, you're out in the woods, right? And you're picking up that, hmm, there is something, uh, there's a smell here in the air. And, and of course, that smell, if it's foreign, the immediate instinct could be to just run from it, right? But at some point, it starts being useful to stop and explore, to trigger a different behavior, because maybe that foreign smell is 
a, a species, a s- same species, opposite sex, and you're just about to get laid. So, so maybe it actually makes sense to hang around. Maybe it's a new type of food source. Um, so this complex system on top of a system, and this is now the neocortex, starts evolving that regulates that emotion down. So the limbic system creates all this emotion, fear, anger, you know, I need to run, I, 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 need, to, I need to just fight, or I, I need to freeze, whatever it is, right? But then the neocortex kicks in and starts regulating that because it started to make sense to actually not react instinctively to everything, but to stop and explore and to maybe learn something new. Um, mm. And that started being evolutionarily um, uh, helpful to do that. And, and now we're getting into learning, right? Yeah. So, because over time, if you decide actively with your brain, i.e. the neocortex part of it, you decide to stick around, you will start, and if that is, if you get lucky in the woods, you know, a couple of times in a row, you're going to start to associate that smell with a reward and that pathway is going to start, is being then it's, it's then going to be something that you are looking to do more of and more of and more of because you're triggering a positive reward with it, right? Mm-hmm. So now you're learning, um, and, 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 and to me, it's almost like the way the brain evolved uh, over time now is is a, is a very good mirror of how 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 we talked about how we evolved in episode one. It's just this increased crazy trial and error. We grow our brains and we grow the cortex to be able to do more and more complex reasoning um, in order to regulate all the emotions, uh, all the impulses that are generated from our from our brainstem. Um, and at the end of the day, it's all about just should I approach or avoid something? Uh, it, it, it's like the worm. Uh, it's just that we've just added so much more complex reasoning, so many more complex paths and, and patterns on top of it. Um, it's it's um uh, you, you know one of my my favorite uh, um, sort of parts in in thinking about what i really am is this um uh it's it's in this uh, it's the center actually of the selfish gene right that, uh, mm. the dawkins book and i for me you, you talked about falling off the chair when when you heard about this sort of emotion being the it's it's the thing in between that the emotion is actually the thing that triggers the thing the the, the action, not the stimuli inputs, right? Mm. And I I didn't fall off a chair because I was driving a car, but when I listened to that, and <laughs> you drove off the road. <laughs> I did it. Luckily, because I had the family in the car and they were all you know doing other stuff, so I said, "Hey, I'll, I'll start this book." And it talks about the you know the level of. Uh, evolution or the level of um, selfishness of maximizing reproduction or, or the level of where, where evolution actually do happen or the survival of the fittest is not on the individual level and it's for sure not on the group level some theories you know have as a sort of the, the group evolution but it's typically and i've always thought about it as it's on the individual right it's individual and the survival of the fittest individual but yeah that's the, the intuition but, one would have right yeah but that's always the way it's been talked about but he said it's on the gene level it's it's actually the genes are mm-hmm. maximizing their chance of survival but not actually survival they're maximizing the chances that they will create an endless stream of ever-growing reproductions on themselves right yeah so, they're maximizing the chance that they will maximize the chance that their offspring will maximize their chance at whatever, right? And 
and and at some point we talked about as I said episode one a lot about the, on the evolution uh, uh, and uh, and all these um, uh, re- reproduction errors leading up to you know more and more advanced uh, organisms and in the end the badger rat in ourselves right? but but he said you know if you think about what you are an individual is it's actually a you know meat and flesh robot it's a robot that has been programmed by genes in you know isolated genes but also in collaboration these as i said before i think about these as green little cartoon guys and girls sitting there you know hacking away on, on a computer and creating more and more advanced algorithms and finding new ways to add you know new features to the robot right like boston scientific yeah. youtube thing right oh it can dance look it can dance by itself yeah. and and that's pretty much what's been going on right you have this gene pool uh, to maximize the chance of, of survival, it's been you know incorporating new genes and new stuff. But it's built this robot and filled it up with the most advanced you know algorithm it can it to come up with, and it's a lot of experimentation going on. Yeah. And one thing they figure out during this journey is that hey, it's actually pretty you know exhausting to micromanage these bloody robots. So I, I'm going to make it managing itself according to my instructions, right? So then they create these instructions, which are the algorithms. So, so, we're, so the brain is just a massive amount of you know, complex algorithms, um, how we react to different inputs. And, and, yeah. and we're just a robot carrying around those algorithms. And, and the, the thing that is so mind-blowing about this is that uh, we think about this as algorithms, but it's just a network of these very... At the at the heart of it, very basic neurons, um, where but it's just that it's so bloody many of them, and the network is so deep um, that and this is also why if if these were perfect algorithms, we would react exactly the same way every time we come and are faced with the same input, the same situation, but we don't because it's so messy. It is so messy and it's so interconnected. It's like this web of all these patterns interconnecting. And that's also why, you know, when you think about this, when they do these brain scans, when they look at electric, electrical, so elect, how electricity behaves inside your, your head, the electrical potential, yeah. When, yeah. You, when, when you look at different things, when you write things, it, it, it is, even though we think we have identified different parts of the brain, um, and, you know, they're lo- the pathways are long and very complex and they're really interconnected all the time and they're kind of roughly organized in a certain way uh, but it's just a big mess and so we think about ourselves as very advanced and we- we're very complex for sure but it is just this super deep network of, of neurons and there's no way of really telling if we could extract but you know could if we looked inside the brain just kind of and try to map it. I don't think we would ever be able to figure out how any one any one human being would actually work. If you know what I mean. No, exactly. It's too complicated. It's just too complicated. So, and no, right? no wonder sometimes when you when it's that messy of a programming, you go on stage, right? And uh, and you're supposed to hold a speech for something, and then syntax error, and it just shut down. <laughs> yes, syntax error. Sorry. No. And and here and here's the thing: that syntax error that is because um, what the limbic system can do, which we cannot really control, 
is to shut down this neocortex behavior pretty much completely. You can shut it down. So there are certain there are certain emotions that the amygdala triggers that we cannot regulate. It's, and the most powerful one I've understood is disgust. Hmm. So more if, than if, fear. Uh, yes, more than fear. Mm-hmm. If 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 the body it feels really really disgusted, you will puke and you can't stop it. It's mm-hmm. almost it's basically impossible to regulate that emotion. And 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 also there are certain there are instances where if you're under extreme stress or you become really fearful, like you get that freeze reaction, it's just it, that's because in order to save energy, the, the, the brain cell will just shut down your neocortex to just freeze. Mm-hmm. We, we don't, when we have very little control over the amount of stuff that is going on, um, I, I can't remember the number now, but I think it's less than 10% of the different, let's call them decisions that our brain is making all the time are actually things that we're actively involved in. You know, so when when you're going to when you wake up in the morning, the body starts um, increasing blood pressure away from your feet in order so that you can stand up without fainting. This happens automatically, of course. You don't think about it because it's pre- it's pre- it is anticipating that you will stand up, right? Hmm. So it's all it's and this is just one of you know thousands of these things going on all the time, right? It is constantly predicting your next move and and taking actions according to that prediction. And if that prediction is wrong, then, you know, something is off and, you know, fear hits or, uh, or anger or, or, or whatever it might be. Um, it's, it's very, it, it's, 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 you know, we're old, right? We're millions of years old in the way we operate and make decisions. And so for and, millions of years, we've had sort of an agile development team adding stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and with without the product manager, might exactly. I add, it's like it's just to have like you have you have eighty six billion programmers just hacking away, and then you let and, and, and then no you rele- target you, picture at all, no target picture. And you release you release a new product once every second to see if it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, that, but that's it. Right? No target picture, no product manager. Uh, you know, very rapid releases and uh, yeah, and yeah. Cool. So that's why most of these things have probably failed. Anyway, so so he, and, and he, so here's another thing that this all means that to me was such a revelation, and it's because what so what learning really means then is that you are training a certain neural pathway to become faster and faster and faster and have them more and more automatic, right? Um, so if you have a behavior that you want to get rid of, it is actually physically impossible for you to erase a pattern. You cannot do it. You have to train a new pattern until it becomes stronger. So if you want to stop smoking or drinking, if you want to start exercising, the only way you're going to unlearn a past habit is by learning a new habit that kind of replaces that pattern and becomes even more strongly um, automated, let's say, than what you were already doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you can't stop smoking, but you can replace it with chewing gum or, you know, finding Jesus or something else. Um, yeah, but that's true, right? I mean, um, uh, one of my family members is a social worker and, um, always said that a very common way out of, uh, addiction is to find, you know, Jesus or religion of some sort. And uh, yeah, so, something which is so powerful. With yeah, another, exactly. You know, drug, or, you know, we can call it different things, but you replace it with another thing that that is stronger. 
And because the thing that you remember, things that you really remember in life are those that have been very, um, you know, very clear from an experience point of view, right? Either huge moments of fear or, or gratitude or, and of course, if you have a religious experience, that's going to be super, super powerful. And that's going to be, that's going to be a strong pathway that you can keep, keep practicing and keep firing. So I'm not surprised that, you know, you need one way out of a bad habit is to have a very strong revelation around a new habit. And and so I'm not surprised that many people, you know, you hear many times people that have problems with, you know, it could be criminality, it could be drinking and other addiction that they, they turn to religion and and that, that is a way out of it. Exactly. Um, But that goes to the other thing as well, right? So you you can't, you can't not, (laughs) you can't unlearn something that you've learned. You have to replace it. Yet you don't remember anything. You you, you don't actually remember events. There's been... What do you mean? I remember a lot of events. Well, the thing is, you remember, so technically you remember the emotion and what you did. Um, Technically. Well, okay. So, what about pictures then? Because I can, uh, I think I can remember um, uh, pictures, right, uh, from uh, from events. Uh, for example, uh, I saw a couple of swans this morning, and I can sort of picture what they look like. And I, this is something that I've been meaning to dig into because there is something here which I have not yet figured out, and that is there are people that have. Um, you know, photographic memory. So how does mm-hmm. that work? Because mm-hmm. of course they remember. If 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 there if the if it is actually the case that photographic memory technically is a thing, then what is it actually they're remembering? Because there's there's no like there's not a hard drive in your brain that stores images the way I've understood this. But what you have is a pattern, um, and it might be that that pattern can be. On such a micro level that if you if you have if you are um, if if you have some sort of attention disorder, let's say, so that when you look at an image, you're you're absolutely drawn into the picture, right? So every line becomes an experience, every color becomes an experience. You you you're basically that one image is like a you know almost like falling off a cliff in emotional strength, and then maybe what happens is that you you create these neural pathways on such a huge level of detail that you have an emotion and an experience for every line in that image, right? And mm. maybe the swans had such an impact on you so that it's not just you remembering swans. It was an, it had an emotion, a really strong emotional effect on you that the brain then, you know, decided this is something I, 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 I this is something I want to experience again. This is something I want to approach this, this I also actually remember a stick I saw in the woods. So, so apparently I had a strong emotional reaction. How did the stick make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. It had a, it had a kind of a, it was a, had a, a funny, funny kind of branching of, uh, of itself. So, so yeah, it made me probably feel, ah, that's funny. Um, because because still, it, it something here, right? I, I, I don't get how, how you. How can I, if? But could you really imagine? Okay, because this is something. This, mm. I'm, I'm going to dig into this because this I find this extremely cool, right? How this mm. works. But the question is, if you were asked to draw, what you, what you, how you remember the swans, 
Hmm. Do you think you could actually draw it? Absolutely or, or, not. I'm a terrible drawer of animals. Let, but let's uh, well, let's <laughs> let's assume that you you were a great drawer of animals. Would you actually draw the actual an actual kind of frame of your memory, or would you still just draw swans that look amazing, but it's not necessarily a frame of what you maybe saw at that point in time? Do you do you know what I mean? It's to me that's very interesting. I don't know but, how that would work. But I remember what a swan looks like. Exactly. So, and that's not remembering an emotion. That's actually remembering what a swan looks like. <laughs> You're right. The, the, those are curves and lines and colors. You're absolutely right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. But but you mentioned something along those lines um, uh, when we talked about it. Is about um, eyewitness uh, that. It, if I understood it correctly, you, if you, if a per, let's let's assume you've been mugged, and the person you that mugged you looked a, a certain way, and of course, mugging you made you um, uh, fearful of that person. But then you have a lineup, an eyewitness lineup, and there's a person looking completely different but for some reason that person triggers a memory of an emotion that made you feel uncomfortable or fearful mm. would you then combine those two to actually pointing out the person that doesn't look at all like the person who mugged you just because they trigger the same emotion well this is actually what some research has shown um mm. Which, which I'm also really keen to dig in, dig further into, that eyewitness testimonials are very, very um, tricky and dangerous and treacherous for this very reason. Um, that there is a lot of bias that goes into what what you think you remember from, for example, such an event. Uh, now, if you were the victim, that puts you in a certain category. If you were observing the crime from afar, that puts you maybe in a slightly different category. Uh, but yes, biases, past experiences, judge, judgment will have play a huge role in eyewitness testimonials, which is why in some jurisdictions they're almost no longer used, um, at least never alone. There mm -hmm. has to be other sort of technical evidence as well. Because um, it's been shown that you can tamper with eyewitnesses very easily. And in even unwill even unwittingly, right? Can you do that? Because you're asking leading questions, maybe without intending to, which will have the victim or the the, the eyewitness associate the event with other things that they've experienced in their life, maybe. And and that will twist and turn kind of this this memory, if you will, of what the person looked like or what they saw. Um because the the main again. If we believe for, for and I, I, at least I choose to believe that, you know, the, the primary purpose of, let's call them memories, the primary purpose of memories is to help us repeat successful behavior or avoid danger or avoid unsuccessful behavior. If that is the evolutionary use of, of a memory, um, then it kind of makes sense that we, we will, you know, firstly remember emotions to avoid or emotions to seek out and secondly the sensoric input at that time because the sensoric input goes via this emotional center before it hits our consciousness let's say um, and um, 
it 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 is kind of interesting. So that's why you know you th- sometimes if you have if you think about what are the things you really remember in life, and 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 you, you will always kind of say, well, it it the, those things are memorable. Right? There's there, the word comes from 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 something. Right? These are things that were very scary, right, hmm. or very cool. Or that really had an, an impact on you, but I mean, you won't remember what you did yesterday at two p.m. unless there is some other reason that you happen to know calendarically what you were doing at two yesterday at two p.m. Because most of what we're doing is just repetitive tasks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, unless you had an amazing dinner, right? Not then at two p.m. No. Not at two p.m. No. <laughs> so great true. lunch, late lunch. But the 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 other outcome of this is this um, negativity bias. Because um, it's much more important for us, evolutionary, let's say, to remember to stay out of dan- danger, than to remember to approach something which was nice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the way I understand it, that is also why um, it is it is so successful um, from a journalistic point of view to create these dr- dramatized headlines, right? Because um, we we do seek out to understand where danger might be so we can avoid it. So headlines which are negative are much more powerful and we're much more likely to pick that newspaper up or click that link. Hmm. Um, um, and I think it, I think it, it's just helpful to be aware of that. Hmm. Um, and that's what, you know, you remember you know, Hans Rosling, he always said that you know, when he, uh, the book Factfulness and all, all the things, all the speeches and, and the tour he was giving, uh, you know, during his lifetime, Really, ha- really only had one theme, which, which, right, which is most things in the world are getting better, mm. right? Every year, it's like ninety-nine out of a hundred things um, that that are being measured are actually becoming better all the time. Not music, though. That was actually best between nineteen ninety 1990 and nineteen ninety-four. Not music, and I think perhaps climate. <laughs> he 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 does concede that that is the the one point where we're absolutely correct in being. Actually, not enough fearful, perhaps. Um, yeah. But everything, but pe- but that's not how, if you ask people how they feel about the world. Most people will say it was better, you know, it was better before. Um, mm. Things are getting worse when you ask them, whereas things actually aren't. And it's because we have this, which is kind of a healthy negativity bias, I guess, uh, from a survival point of view. So, yeah, it, from an evolution point of view, now I think it's probably putting us in a lot of shit, right? You know, in, in the modern world, right? But yeah. so back to topic. Um, yeah. So what does I das. am question mark? Okay. So here's my take then. These mm-hmm. are the, the, so these are some bits and pieces of a puzzle uh, that I think is making sense. So um, we have an experience provided by our brain um, that we call me, myself, I, my consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, which is basically just an 86 billion neurons deep network with hundreds of trillions of connections that are just making sense of my emotions and regulating the inputs that I'm receiving all the time. This is I. That's that's what I I am. I am this process, continuous process of of, of making sense of the world around me in order to predict the next step. Um, that's it. Should I approach something? Should I avoid something? Um, that's it. That's what I am. 
That's a very positive way of looking at what you are. That's what I am. That's me. <laughs> so that's me. And, and we we talked about this you know, a couple of times. Right? And you, I think you mentioned there are two ways on the uh, to look at this question. The, the you know the the easy and the hard, or or the soft and the hard. I can't remember what you what you call it. One is oh the, yeah, the, uh, the easy and the hard problem of consciousness. Yeah. So mm. I mean, I can. I can, everything you said makes a lot of sense, right? And and it, I believe that's what it, what it is. Now, that's the easy part um, to sort of explain what, what, where I get stuck is then, okay, so what actually makes this consciousness me and my consciousness? How, how, can, how can I be that? And I, I, I'll just go through a couple of you know, examples of mm. what I mean. Like, um, uh, Altered Carbon, a fantastic book, uh, science fiction, and, and a yes. series on Netflix. I, I I urge everyone that haven't read the books to read them. They are they are fantastic. But there you can there you can. And if you no. think uh, Joel Kinnaman is sexy, you should check out the series. <laughs> and and then you, um, so you can download the brain in or the. Or the nervous system in all its glory, right? Complete reproduction, complete copy, and you know, keep it on a computer. And you can um, clone hundred percent to the minuscule detail and the last quark, you know, uh, copy um, your body. And then, you know, if you die, you can actually have a backup of yourself that you download the brain into the body, the, the clone, right? Would that be me if I did that? Would it? Would for you? Yes, for you, yes. it would be me. Yeah. But for me, would it be me? Or would would I be gone? Which one uh, of you? <laughs> the one I'm talking here now, sitting, thinking. The one that lives inside my head that that you don't see, but mm. that is for me is me. For yeah. Me. A completely exact copy of me behaving and having all the memories of me. For to you would be me. But to me, it would not be me. I would have been gone. I, I, I assume, or yeah, I don't know. Yeah, or... I, I, so this this is my th my theory is that if you made a perfect copy of yourself right now, hmm? um, and so now you have two Percy sitting yeah. next to each other, both of you would claim that you're you. Yeah. Uh, but both of you would be equally sure that the other one is not you. Yeah. And both of you would be kind of right. Yes, but I am me. So the me me that is me. <laughs> yeah, and the other one, the, the other the one would say exactly me. the same things, and yeah, and, and I am me. Yeah, but I mean that me. other one would not be to me from an internal perspective. It would not be me thinking; it would be someone else. It, it could as well be you, right? Claiming to yeah. me because yes. it's not me. Yes. So for you, it would be a distinctly another exactly physical so person. So what makes me me? I can understand. The, no, I can't fully understand. I can understand that you know the, the edges of of what goes on uh, inside the neurons uh, shooting electricity spikes through this you know crazy messed up uh, network of um, of of um, uh, neural network right and and i can sort of get that you know 
all you said. I, I can sort of get that, but I can still not get what what in all of that makes it me <laughs> that I'm actually thinking and it's me and it's not and 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 what's the what's the smallest change in all of that that would for not external purposes but internal purposes of me sitting here talking I would be erased and someone else would take my someone else would take my slot right. What's the smallest change that would make that happen? Well, I think uh, so. There are two two things, and uh, we've we've sort of talked about this a bit. I think the one is you are another you all the time, um, in one sense, because since your body is changing all the time, your neural pathways are changing all the time. You are lit- You you can and you are literally changing yourself all the time so the you you now is a different you than the you five seconds ago ten seconds ago uh, so, but, so but you it's are still my continuous consciousness over all that period that's how you have defined it yes which is the second thing i'm coming to which is that we you're it's it's and this is the problem i have with the question uh, which is we're we're making a big assumption here which is that we have defined the thing you're asking about <laughs> So, so say it's me. Well, how do you define that in order to be able to say so? In order to know what an answer should be like that would satisfy your question. So, if I, what makes me me having these experiences? Yeah, um, yeah, but I mean, I'm pretty certain that one million years ago, I did not exist because I have absolutely no <laughs> recollection of anything happening one million years ago. That's I a fact. Rec- I do have recollection of something happening. Well, apparently I have a recollection of emotions of something happening you know, 40 years ago. Yes. I, so, so, and that's me. And all the time it's been That's me. your brain. And, and then when I die, uh, you know, I, I, that will stop. That flow of consciousness will stop. Unless yes. you believe in, in something else, but I don't. That will stop. And, and it will be, I'm not even sure if dark is the right thing. It would just cease to exist, right? Yes. Uh, if, if I would die... Mm. My brain would be downloaded into a perfect copy of my body, and and voila, there I am again. I'm still pretty certain it would be blank. I, it's not me anymore. It's something else that behaves, and and you know, it's it's exactly like me. Yeah, but it's, but it's, it's not my you, consciousness. No. My consciousness is gone. To me, it would be you on a hard drive. Yes, yeah, but my um, consciousness is gone. It's 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 not me anymore. Yeah, your your substrate is no longer the so your 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 hardware is no longer operating that software. Yeah. So what is so what is so what is then what is what in all of this makes me me? How can how how can that be that I got a consciousness, not just that a consciousness that it's me there? That, that's sort of weird. I, I, to to, uh, to sort of uh, uh, you know, the first this example is of course not. You know, realistic because we can't download a complete you know, fault-free copy of the brain and download into a, a clone, um, uh, as far as I know. But but the other one, so <laughs> you know, this guy, uh, it, it's a, it's apparently you, you, it was an example in the book, the um, the blank slate you uh, you uh, recommended to me last summer, I think. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> that is, it, it talks about your consciousness just being. This layer of um, trying to make sense and you know, and after the fact, explain why you did what you did based on all these 
you know, multitudes of other personalities or, or parts of you that operate sort of autonomously uh, in your brain. So like, and, and, and what you feel is your consciousness is actually, you know, <laughs> something trying to make sense of why you did what you did. Right? And, and then it, it starts talking about um, different personalities. And as this, this guy, I think it's in the, uh, in the US during the railway uh, rollout, right? The, the, the yeah. 19th century. Sometime. Yeah, I think I remember the story now, yeah. <laughs> and this guy with the railway spikes, apparently he was a great guy. He was funny and happy and positive and helpful and, uh, and a bit clumsy, apparently, because he sort of manages to, to put the railway spike gun and shoot the, the spike through his head. Yeah, and survives and comes out like a bastard, like a mean, grumpy, angry, selfish, egoistic, just a bastard, right? And it's not; yeah. it's just polar opposite personalities. Yeah, is that still the same guy? Do, do, do you think is does does he still consider was a new consciousness born there, or is it actually the same, just gone bananas? Well, I think the, the thing is that that um, what some of these so two 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 thoughts right first probably the spike gun this probably the spike damaged some part of his limbic system so he he can't regulate these basic instincts anymore mm-hmm. and that's something you can see there are these animal experiments where they um, you know um, they suspend some of the you know, frontal brain um, functions, and 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 the animal will be over sexualized or over aggressive or uh, just just over react basically to things, right? Yeah, of course. Um, if you shoot a spike, a, a railway spike through your you know frontal cortex, probably something happens with with your deci- decision making will be <laughs> less less <laughs> l- l- less well functioning for sure. Um, um so but I, but then i think if you asked him he would have a perfectly rational explanation for that and he would you know what i mean because what the brain is very good at is rationalizing whatever happens you i don't know if you remember or if, if we, maybe we didn't talk about it but these experiments with people who have kind of split brains and mm-hmm. that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing etc mm-hmm. and there's this experiment where you know they would um you know, have the left side of a person's brain, let's say, read. I, I'm, I'm sure I'm getting this factually wrong now, but I just, just for the sake of the discussion, I'll just play it back as I remember it. Have have you one just, part. You of don't the brain. remember it. You remember how how the explanation made you feel. Because they they were read it exactly. They <laughs> it made me feel uh, enthusiastic. So that that's why I'm going to. So basically, they had one part of the brain read a joke, right? Mm-hmm. And then the so and, and the guy starts laughing, and then they would have an interviewer talking to the other part of the brain, asking, "Why did you laugh?" And the guy would say, well, "Because you told me a joke," and be absolutely certain that that is what had happened. Because the only thing the brain knows is that it's heard something funny, it's laughing. Um, but the rational explanation for that for that person was, I, the, "You just told me a joke. That's why I'm laughing." So. so so, th- so the brain is really good at coming up at rationalizing and coming up with you know ways of making sense of the emotion um, that, that 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 is sort of chemically filled with, let's say. But, but take that the split brain, that's because that's another phenomenon that is. Um, I mean, I I do believe the fir- my first uh, you know the, the railway spike. I do believe if that would happen to me, I would still 
experience my consciousness as continuing. I mean, mm. you can have a bad day. I mean, you, you, you know, you're tired or something bad. You can be grumpy, right? You yes. can actually change personalities, but that is more a permanent one. But, you know, as you get older and your frontal cortex gets sort of disintegrated and you start, you know, uh, pouring out all these things that you always held back, but suddenly it just comes out, right? That That's also, that's, that's sort of, he did that in a very fast manner, right? By shooting the spike through his head. Um, so, uh, so I do believe you know that would still be me as I you know, think about me as me, um, but but if I you know if I cut off the um, what's it called uh, brain beam I think it's called right um, so if uh, epileptic and and you treat that by cutting off the brain beam not all oh yeah you can. And you actually have this split brain. So you actually have two parts of the brain that do not communicate. Mm. Which which one am I? Am I both? And why can I only consciously, if I understand this correctly, you sort of controlled half. The, your, your primary consciousness then is one half of it. And the other one can do a little bit what it wants. Like picking up a red dress instead of a red jumper, or a you know blue dress instead of a pair of socks. I, it, when you say I'm gonna, you know, I saw this in in um in school many many years ago. That someone said I'm gonna pick out this dress, and the hand goes in and takes another dress, because yes. that part of the brain decided nah I want the other dress. So you got two people consciousness living but you can only experience one of them because that's the one that is you and apparently i'm not sure which part of the which half of the brain is me but but then you have this other one <laughs> but i guess i think um th th this again to me is an example of how difficult it is to define that question because um the uh, the person might say that i intended to pick up that dress on the left hand side but then someone else you know guided my hand so that i picked up the right instead mm. um but but again it becomes a definition because it's the same the same physical person did both those things thought about the left and grabbed the right so it's still that person so to me this is a continuum <clears throat> it's like if you've had two really bad days and you feel kind of down and depressed um you know you will at least the way I work is that I, I will pretty quickly sort of identify with that emotion. So I am a depressed person. Life is hard. Life is tough. And I can hardly remember how it was when life was easy and life was just good. And then, you know, a day later I can wake up and feel great or I go for a jog. I get the runner's high. And now I can hardly remember what it was like to be so low. I, can, I cannot remember why I let myself get bogged down with all these thoughts and emotions. And I think these are a kind of examples of the same thing that, you know, we identify ourselves with this process, you know, this process that the brain is going through all the time. We identify ourselves with it. Um, and if something happens that we cannot really identify ourselves with, we get worried. And that is probably evolutionary, a good thing that, that we define ourselves as a composed entity that does predictable things. 
And when we stop doing predictable things, when we start doing things which are not good for us, we get worried. So that's not me. That's not that's not who I am. You know what I mean? Because we identify ourselves with this process all the time, this movie that we're part of. Uh, yeah, and I think that's I, I, again I get sort of on a on a layman level all of that, but still, I have my consciousness. It's me. Something makes it my consciousness, me. Yeah, and it's you. You make and, it your. And if I would be perfectly copied in all the details. Yes. And put next to me. I yeah. I would not be commanding two of me's. I would still command Correct. be commanding me. Yes. So what makes me me? That's that's sort of that, and you say it's a pointless question, right? To me, it's a question. Um, um, well, it. I, I, I guess um, I have chose. Uh, I think it's may, maybe I'm coming across a bit uh, too uh, binary if I say it's a pointless question. But I do think that it's a. It it it's it's a question that that I currently don't feel is relevant for me at least. You know the way I think about these things because it's so. I don't, and I guess the main reason is that I don't know how I would define the question properly, and I'm not sure what answer that would be satisfying to the question. You know, bar something magical, right? Yeah, that would be cool. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> you have a soul that goes in and out of, of sort of physical bodies and. Uh, You've been giving a soul, and that's your consciousness. And it's an old yes. soul or a new one. And, I mean, yeah, maybe. I, I don't think so, but I mean, something makes me me. And, and, and I, yeah, I think. I mean, that's what I would. I would like to be able to to find some kind of. And we're not gonna in this episode. Maybe next one. But, I'm not going to solve but, it. Not, not going to solve it in this episode. But to me, that's re it's it's really it's a fundamental question. If at some stage we do manage to do brain, uh, you know, head transplants, which would be the very brute version of downloading your brain in, into a clone, it would be just hack off your head and sew it onto another body, right? Um, uh, it's 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 not it's yeah it's a very rudimentary version of of uh, of it, but still, would that would that be? So so your you the me sits in the brain at least. I mean that's that's where it sits, and I, and I think so too. It sits in the brain, and it it works uh, and has developed through all these mechanics that, that that we talked about, and maybe its memories are are made of emotions and not of of, of pictures and. All of that, but it's still something there that just makes that uniquely me, from my perspective. Uh, that's uh, we're not going to solve the, it. But no, I, uh, one one thing that I think could be related is the fact that we spend so so much time um, think thinking about scenarios. So when we say we think, we're kind of going through future versions of ourselves. Um, so if you took that away completely, so you, you're no longer able to plan the future, you're only in the absolute now 
in the absolute present. Mm. Um, so, since you're not planning uh, actively anymore whether or not you should pick up the pen and write, none of that works anymore. You're purely driven by instinct. Then you would also not have had any, uh, I suspect, um, complex memory stored because they would have no point, really because you can't use them for decision-making because you can't plan the future. I think this is a change where you would probably not say that you are you anymore because you um, is a an entity that acts in a certain way in the world based on your prior experiences and learnings, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of you. And if if you can no longer plan such actions based upon your experiences and learning, then maybe that's one version of not being you anymore. Hmm. Yep. To to you, that's me, right? An entity that acts according to, you know, um, own and inherited um, um, experiences and plans ahead how to, you know, avoid or, or keep doing, keep doing. Right? Mm. But that's not me to me. Me to me is the thing I am that that think these thoughts and yeah. feel these things, right? And again, me to you could be a clone of me, but it would not be me to me. Well, I guess it's a it's a it's a cool analogy or a cool way of of, of uh, explaining it. I would I would add that so you you to me you are this entity that acts in a certain way. Mm. The the difference is that you actually you have access to the command line of your system. Mm-hmm. I don't, mm-hmm. and the experience of having access to the command line that's what you think is you. <laughs> Pro- yeah, uh, yes, and and but still, if I would be a clone and would have access to the command line, it would st- yes. it would not be me. That clone would have access to its command line, and <laughs> and if you true, and, and if true. and if you interrogated the two of you, no one would be able to tell which one of you were the original Joachim because it would give the same answer. No, the barcode on the clone would would give the other guy away. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> So I not. I don't think we're going to solve this, right? But so I think there we are. We're uh, <laughs> this fl- meat, meat, clumps of meat uh, with a a nervous system that is trying to avoid surprise. Period. <laughs> Programmed by angry little green blobs, uh, i.e., genes, uh, you know, that are fed up of micromanaging this robot. So they did more and more complex, completely wild and crazy, you know, agile development experimentation. Uh, over time and and create this thing that you know works most of the time sometimes it shuts down um and and in all of that there is a piece that you're not looking for that i'm looking for that is what makes something uniquely my consciousness and there you have it ladies and gentlemen the answer (laughs) now over to our sponsors (laughs) 